Salam and welcome to the Claritas Books podcast, a dynamic audio space that explores a wide range of publications, from history to halal branding and spirituality to storytelling. I'm journalist Ramona Ali, and in today's episode, we're looking at the best-selling book, Journey Through the Qur'an. I'm speaking with the author behind the book, Sheikh Sharif Banna, a man of many hats. He's a scholar, lawyer, author and entrepreneur, and the founding director of the Islamic Institute for Development and Research. He's also the CEO of a global publishing and media company. Sheikh Sharif has over 15 works to his name, including the subject of today's podcast, Journey Through the Qur'an. Sheikh Sharif, Salaam Alaikum and welcome. Wa Alaikum Salaam. Firstly, thank you so much for taking the time out, stepping away from the airport lounges and the planes of your incredibly busy schedule to join us today. I am actually in transit. So I'm, <laughs> I'm in London for a few hours and I'm heading to Istanbul. So oh, that's, so we're that's even more lucky to have you. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for stepping in between planes then uh, to talk to us about your book, Journey Through the Quran. Now, I've got my own copy of the Journey Through the Quran book. It's got a beautiful royal blue cover and it has gleaming gold embossed writing on it. And it's, and it's filled with mind maps, key stories, concepts, Arabic vocabulary. It's basically the all-you-need-to-know guide to the Quran. Well, almost. So we just want to, before diving into the book, could we begin by hearing about your personal relationship with the Quran? How did it all begin? Well, if you to ask my mum, She'd say it all began when she was pregnant with me. Um, she reminds me that she used to recite the Quran quite frequently. I am her first child. Um, she was inspired by the spiritual benefits of reading the Quran to uh, to a baby yet unborn. I have no recollection of that, unfortunately. <laughs> it's what my mother tells me. But I do recall that my first engagement or experience with the Quran was actually my mother reciting. I was probably, what, two, three, uh, two, three-year-old. Um, and she used to recite every morning in a very melodic tone, melodic voice, which was quite uh, soothing. I come from a household of scholarship. My father is actually an expert in Quranic studies, in, in the Quran. So there was no escape from the Quran for me. So I was taught the Quran from a young age. I was taught how to read, how to uh, memorize. I, I, I haven't memorized the full Quran, but I have memorized many chapters, many sections and portions of the Quran. It's a journey that still continues till today. Um, today I've been studying, teaching the Quran for over probably two decades or, or, or more. Um, and every time I'm preparing for a class or every time I'm reading for myself, there's always new insights, new wisdom, new perspectives that I, that I discover. And in that sense, the Quran is really, for me, a, uh, a notion of, of wisdom and treasure that keeps giving. And there's clearly a huge amount of work that has gone into this book as well. How, how much time has gone into it? How much effort and how much care has gone into the journey through the Quran book? Actually, I never intended to write a book on Journey Through the Quran. Oh. It was an accidental uh, a product of teaching. Ten years ago, um, I was invited by IIDR to, uh, to organize and deliver a series of courses uh, in Ramadan on the Quran, providing an overview and a summary of all 114 chapters of the Quran in a four-day intensive course. So in preparation for that course, I had to research, 
gather all my materials together and present notes for the students and the participants. And each, as each year went by, I developed those notes. Um, so I guess in the second or third year probably of, of me teaching the Journey to the Quran course, um, I then decided to compile the notes in the form of a book. The only thing that I didn't teach at the course was the mind maps, which I've included um, in, in the book. Which and this it, is quite a unique feature in the book as well, isn't it? I mean, absolutely. Map. I think, look, one of, the unique, um, one of the unique characteristics of the book is actually the mind map. Um, many other parts of the book are quite uh, common. You'd find this in many other books. But and what, is a, what mind, is a mind map exactly? What is a mind map? That's a good question. <laughs> um, you see that, look, the, 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 the Quran or any text for that matter um, may consist of several themes, segments, parts and sections. A mind map is essentially a visual diagram to explain the different themes and sections within a, 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 a particular you know, chapter, a particular paragraph or a particular uh, page. So I'll give you an example of, let's say, one of the longest chapters of the Quran is the second chapter of the Quran, Surah Al-Baqarah. It consists of 286 verses. Now, these 286 verses speaks about diverse topics from believing in a second life to monotheism to uh, a fulfillment of debts to to regulating our inner self in terms of self-discipline and ego management so the idea was can we can we present these 286 verses in one page in the form of a diagram so to you know to break down verses 1 to 10 speaking about monotheism what aspects of monotheism and then continue uh, describing that so in essence what we have now is 114 uh, diagrams in essence um, which essentially allows the reader to visualize the, the the core themes the core messages of a particular chapter so who would you say that this book is primarily for is your target audience students? Is it professionals? Is it people who have got busy lives? Who, who would it benefit the most? I'd say it's a mixture of all of what mm. you've mentioned. As I mentioned, it was a result of a, a product that I released uh, whilst I was teaching, uh, that came out of my teaching. But I guess it, I've, I've presented it in such a way that anybody who would like to go through the Quran um, doesn't know Arabic doesn't have time to go through five and ten volumes of, of Quranic commentary or tafsir in Arabic. Um, translations are not sufficient enough to grasp some of the core themes and messages, simply because of the language and the style of the Quran in Arabic, which is challenging to convey in other languages. Um, so I think it acts as a study guide, as something that you would perhaps have a translation, have an original copy of the Quran perhaps, and have this to sort of guide your journey, uh, a sort of a compass if you want, uh, in terms of you know what should I be looking out for. Uh, and by the way, you know Quranic commentaries on average in Arabic are not actually five or ten volumes. On average, they'll probably be around twenty-five, thirty volumes of of, of work, mm -hmm. um, and you know. I don't think anybody really has the time, the stamina, the, uh, uh, the you know, patience, simply the, um, <laughs> the yeah, simply the ambition, even you know, yeah. to to go through all of those. Um, so yeah, so I, it's, it's a study guide, an aid mm. to beginning your journey with the Quran. I'm now sitting in a cafe in central London, and I am joined by three of Sheikh Sharif's very dedicated students, Farhan, Zahra, and Peter. Assalamualaikum. And thank you so much for joining us today. I understand that you've all attended the Journey Through the Quran course. Okay, so what 
actually attracted all of you to the course? Why did you feel the need to, to join Journey Through the Quran? Zahra? Well, I mean, it's been in the presence of the Quran when it's Ramadan. So as much as we have very little energy to do anything else, I thought that being there and traveling through the Quran with Sheikh Sharif uh, and the community of uh, like-minded people was actually the best thing I could do during Ramadan. Farhan? I felt for myself that uh, during Ramadan is the best time to get closer with the Quran. And um, I wanted a closer connection, and especially with a sheikh like Sheikh Sharif. It was just brilliant to have his knowledge and his anecdotes. And um, it really kind of opened my eyes to the Quran even more. And Peter, how has this course and this book changed your relationship with the Quran? Well, first of all, it makes me more accessible to the Quran because um, previously I've managed to really complete it, the Quran from the beginning to the end. And also the way it was structured that all the key messages, all the themes, you know, are available in one sitting and, and it's really, really useful, especially during the Ramadan. And then finally, there was a motivation for me to, to learn Arabic to get even better relationship with the Quran. Often people, when they're, they often don't read the Quran because it's something that's kind of sitting on a shelf in someone's house and it, it can gather dust. But And, and Ramadan is a, is a time when we really do try to engage with it. But also outside of Ramadan, how do you feel that this book, this course, has really drawn you more towards it? Or is, is there anything of the spiritual side or any of the stories that you feel really speak to you? Zahra. You know, I read regularly now the Quran, and that is the first time in my life that I'm doing this because previously I was just reading a few chapters, a few surah, but now I decided to just read the entire Quran in Arabic. Wow. That's the, the impact actually of this journey through the Quran series that I've been attending actually since the beginning. And I've been probably to seven or eight journey through the Quran. So seven or eight of the same journey through the Quran course you've eight. always attended. Exactly, yes. Yeah. And do you get something new out of it every time? Every time I get a gift. I call it a gift. So it's the gift of uh, journey through the Quran during Ramadan. And uh, I personalize this gift. So there is always, like even now I'm talking to you, there is a warmth and... Um, yeah, uniqueness. Each time there is something that I grasp that I didn't grasp the year before. And it's always a pleasure, honestly, to listen to Sheikh Sharif and, as I said, the community around. Beautiful spirit during Ramadan and atmosphere. Farhan? Well, I think, firstly, the, this definitely motivated me to, to read more Quran and, and to try and incorporate it in my daily life. Um, and the motivation was really there. But specifically, the stories from the prophets in the Quran, uh, Yusuf, Joseph, um, peace be upon him, um, his story and that whole chapter really kind of um, drew me in even more, so much so that I named my son Yusuf. Yeah, I think it's, it's a wonderful way of connecting to the Quran, but do you feel like we've been overlooking that connection? And is this a way to, to bring us back towards the sacred word? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the key motivating factors in being involved and being part of this journey through the Quran, it's the only thing that connects us to the unseen, to the divine. Prophets, we, we, we no longer have prophets. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was the last prophet. So it's as though it's the reminiscence of his legacy and that part that connects the seen world with the unseen. It's actually the Quran. And as Muslims, I think 
that more emphasis, more focus is required in, in what I term in inculcating a Quranic paradigm of thought and behavior. Sometimes too much emphasis is given on uh, interpretation or traditions or uh, uh, you know explanations and commentaries of, of, of specific scholars, um, which is all fine, which is all which are all beneficial. But I think connecting believers to the source of guidance, and that's what we see the Quran as, is of paramount importance. That's what makes us Muslims. I, I'll also add, I mean, although my primary audience are believers and are Muslims, I've had uh, non-Muslim students attend not only the course, but also read the book, mm -hmm. um, read the Journey to the Quran book. And, and speaking of journeys, can we just go back 14 centuries uh, to when the Quran was first recorded and then compiled into what we hold in our hands today. Could you just take us through a very whistle-stop tour of how the Quran was whistle compiled? Whistle-stop tour? A whistle-stop tour. That's normally the subject of a two-hour introduction <laughs> to my courses, but I'll try my best. Uh, stop me if you feel that I've, I'm going on too, for too long. Uh, we know that the Quran was revealed in 7th century Arabia to Prophet Muhammad at the age of 40. It was revealed over a period of 23 years. Um, and during the Prophet's time, which is the first phase of, of this recording and, and, and revelation, um, he would receive the revelation in, in different forms, primarily through uh, Angel Jibrail or, or Gabriel. Um, and this would then be, he would then communicate what had been revealed to him to his companions. His companions would then either memorize what he just communicated as revelation or those who were literate would be writing it down on leaves, on whatever parchments that they had at the time. And that's how uh, revelation was preserved during the lifetime of the Prophet. It wasn't in any single volume that we find, find it today. It was, um, in a sense, sort of scattered between different companions. Uh, many of the companions also memorized the Quran. Many of the companions also were specifically known to be writers of Quran, or what is known as Kutab al-Wahi in, in, in Arabic. That there were specific companions who actually wrote down what they heard from the Prophet from, from the Quran. So that's how that's what, what we can term as sort of the first phase of recording uh, the revelation. So it never existed as a single volume. Uh, during the reign of Abu Bakr, after a, a certain battle where approximately 70 of the companions of the Prophet were killed. Battle of Yamama? Killed. Was it was it? the Battle of Yamama, oh, yes. The Battle of Yamama. Um, I'm sure you found out in the book. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I, I did find uh, out. In the Battle of Yamama, <laughs> so 70 companions who had memorized the Quran had, were, were, were killed in the battle. Mm -hmm. And that's when questions arose as regards to the preservation of the Quran. If the Quran is preserved through these scattered sort of parchments and tablets and leaves, and it's preserved in the hearts and minds of these uh, companions who had memorized the full Quran, then if they were to be killed or if they were to pass away or even if they were to die a natural death, what would happen to the Quran? Um, and that's when uh, Omar ibn al-Khattab, uh, a famous companion also who, be who became a caliph, uh, a rightly guided caliph of Islam, he advised or proposed to Abu Bakr uh, during his reign to... Uh, to compile the Quran into one book. Consolidated. To consolidate the Quran, absolutely. Abu Bakr initially hesitated on the basis that the Prophet, peace be upon him, never did this. Why should we do it? But later, he, he, he saw the wisdom in what Omar said. He then commissioned um, Zayd ibn Thabit, uh, a companion who was well known for his engagement with the Quran, who the Prophet, peace be upon him, also endorsed himself with regards to his knowledge of the Quran to sort of compile from the different sources into one 
into one volume. Zaidi Mithabit goes out and he then uh, adopts a very uh, meticulous methodology in compiling the Quran because this is to do with the authenticity of the text. Um, he would, for any single verse to be recorded, he would have to find someone who'd memorized the verse and a separate companion who'd written the same verse in the exact same wording. And that's how the compilation of the Quran was was made. Uh, there was only one copy that was uh, so, sort of uh, you know written down by Zaid ibn Thabit, and sort of preserved in in sort of uh, uh, the like the town hall or the public you know public space of of of, of Abu Bakr's uh, uh, sort of governance. Um, and that's how the uh, that's how it continues. So we can identify this as the second phase of the compilation, and then we come to the final phase of compilation, which is actually a copy of the compilation rather than another compilation. It's during the reign of Umar ibn Khattab when uh, the religion of Islam was spreading to different tribes and different regions. There were variances of different interpretations and readings. And Because remember, there's only one copy and there's p- people who've memorized from this copy, yeah. but sometimes there were discrepancies or perhaps you know different articulations of different verses. Because they didn't used to have the points of articulation. You couldn't see how, it, like with the fadhas and the kasras. Yeah, the voweling. Yeah, I mean that was the voweling. That was, that was, was partly the case for non-Arabs, but mm-hmm. even within the uh, sort of Arabian Peninsula, there was also issues of pronunciation or what exact words, regardless of the voweling or regardless of uh, uh, sort of the vocalization of, of of the words. So in the time of Uthman ibn Affan, this is the third caliph of Islam. He he then decided to commission a committee of companions at the time to make copies of the original copy that Zaid ibn Thabit worked on at the time of Abu Bakr. So the only thing that happened was that they would then, you know, re-scrutinize sort of the uh, the recording process. Zaid ibn Thabit himself was part of this committee and, you know, pretty much everything was verified to be correct and authentic. And then seven copies were made of the Qur'an, which were then sent to different parts, to Bahrain, to, to Sham, which is now sort of Syria, Jordan and Palestine, and other parts of the world, from which copies were then made throughout the world. There's also different parchments that have been sort of discovered yeah, in, and in you different saw parts. one parchment when you went to the University of Birmingham. The, the it's called the the Birmingham manuscript, and it's yeah, actually one I of mean, the oldest I mean, what, parchments what, what, of the Quran. What an honor! I mean, you know, um, how did it feel to see that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's what an honor for that to be discovered in Birmingham, <laughs> and, and it's a double honor to uh, to not have to travel to you know Hijaz or Mecca or Medina or Yemen to find parchments of the Quran, but you just have to make a two-hour train journey. So yeah, I mean, that was that was for me quite a, a spiritual experience in the sense that you know it's this Quran that you know that, that I've always listened to, grew up listening, learning, teaching studying and here now you know in Birmingham at the University of Birmingham I'm witnessing you know one of the earliest uh, perhaps one of these copies of one of the companions before you attended this course read this book were you very different in the way you were with the Quran beforehand did you see a change before and after Farhan for sure yeah I think before I didn't really know much about um, the background to the surahs um, and also the significance of the layout as well. And I think uh, Sheikh Sharif really kind of highlighted that, talked to us about the background of each surah, which really put things in more perspective for me. And then going forward, I was able to understand after the course when I wanted to recite certain uh, chapters of the Quran. Um, and it made me more organized and structured going forward, which is kind of what the book is in itself, isn't it? It's very structured and 
and, and ordered in itself. So um, that was a real help. I was just thinking about what uh, Farhan was saying, and actually I realized that what this course did for me is it has put love in my heart for the Qur'an. So I don't relate to the Qur'an as a book anymore. I relate to the Qur'an as a friend. That is not on my bookshelf anymore. It's just part of my life. And I'm traveling today, and I have my Qur'an with me. I'm not using the digital version like you know some people do. I can't. I just need to have my book and feel the book in my hands. Peter? I think one of the beauty of this book is that it's like a summary. I mean, for most of us who have you know, a very like, busy life, I think this is really a, a great resource for us to use, at least to bring us back to the, you know, like in Ramadan, you know, to, to go through the whole Quran with this, like a summary, and then you know, we can go even further on certain ayah for contemplation, inshallah. It's about connecting with the Quran in different ways, and it's also about hearing it recited. Do you feel, when you hear it recited, do you feel you remember what you've been learning from the journey through the Quran book? Yeah, for sure. I mean, during Ramadan, we attend the night prayers where we get a chance to hear the, the Quran recited in its entirety over the 30 days. And the book really helps to kind of have some idea, even if you don't understand Arabic, um, about what is being recited. And you connect more because you remember what the Sheikh taught us in that time. And it just deepens your prayer and your connection with God in those moments. So it was really priceless from, from my end in any way. So, yeah, I mean, as you were just saying, Farhan, uh, hearing what Sheikh Sharif was saying to us and teaching us about the Quran helped us, I mean, did help me at least connecting more to the listening that I was doing on a daily basis and reciting because I, I like reciting a few surahs, including uh, Surah Al-Mulk. Surah Al-Mulk, which is the first one that I was listening to, uh, recited by uh, Sheikh Mishari Rashid Al-Afasi, is such a gem. I mean, it makes me cry each time when I listen to it. الذي خلق سبع سماوات طباقا ما ترى في خلق الرحمن من تفاوت فارجع البصر هل ترى من and i've heard other people saying that so the, the teaching of sheikh sharif and the listening you know sort of I don't know how to express it. I can't even have words to say what I'm saying. Everything comes together. So you're listening to Sheikh Al-Afasi's recitation. You're remembering what Sheikh Sharif has taught you. And it just comes together in a beautiful union. It's it's one. It's the oneness that you're looking for in your life. وَلِلَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا بِرَبِّهِمْ عَذَابُ جَهَنَّمَ وَبِئْسَ الْمَصِيرِ So it's so interesting to hear about the, the, the Birmingham manuscript and the compilation of the Qur'an. You know, it's, it's something that is over 14 centuries old, but still it is, it is relevant to Muslims today and, and humanity today. What do you feel are the universal principles that endure I think there are many, too many to enumerate in, in, the, in the minute that we have. That's correct. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> so just, you know, what comes to mind are values such as, you know, 
we what we reap is essentially a result of our own action and efforts we have a verse in the quran which says laysa lil insani illa ma sa'a that uh, man will not reap except that which he sows and except that which he works towards we have values of justice ingrained in many of the chapters of the quran inna allaha ya'muru bil adli wal ihsan that god commands you to be just and to be benevolent um, we have the notion of coexistence and plurality and diversity in the Quran which God doesn't negate but rather affirms and celebrates uh, saying that he created us into nations and tribes uh, so that we may get to know one another we have you know many many universal maxims that can even on a personal development level level God speaks about the tests that human beings all human beings will face in life you know that you'll be tested with fear with hunger you know referring to perhaps you know economic uh, uh, weakness or financial uh, you know challenges waraqsim min al amwal you know depletion of wealth losing a job losing not getting a job uh, going bankrupt in if you're in if you're in business losing loved ones losing your possessions so it speaks about resilience it speaks about patience when uh, when dealing with these different calamities it speaks about dealing with ignorance and 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 those who sow hatred and enmity by saying you know if those who are ignorant you know decide to argue with you just say to them salam peace be upon you go your way i'm going my way it speaks about the plurality of different faiths that yes muslims believe the quran to be a, a a word of god but it also affords space for others to believe in what they want to believe lakum dinukum waliyadini for you is your religion for me is mine so we can you know we can go on you know listing these really profound universal maxims of uh, of the quran which i believe are applicable not just to believers but humanity at large so you know obviously people today have very busy lives they're running around juggling everything you know they don't really have time to give time to the quran so what advice would you give to someone who is really struggling with this Well firstly I mean I I agree with you modern life is quite hectic we have very little time to to sit down and and read um I would say that if we can all just make an effort of reading one verse one verse of the Quran and it doesn't have to be from the book we have many Quran apps now where when you're you know traveling to work going somewhere just download any app that you feel comfortable with that you know that you like and just try to engage in at least a daily connection with the uh, with the Quran and of course if you have some time i'd say you know pick up my journey through the Quran book <laughs> and hopefully it'll be of some benefit in your journey through the Quran and i'm sure it will inshallah for for me and for many of our listeners so i just want to now thank you so much for giving us your time and your wisdom and your expertise okay. thank you the pleasure was all mine thank you assalamu alaikum assalamu alaikum i've been your host ramona ali if you've enjoyed this podcast please rate review and subscribe and you can explore more works at www.claritasbooks.com